Blog Talk Radio. Edition of A Thousand Moms Talk. I am uh, I am Dave Baylock. I am the information officer, the chief information officer for A Thousand Moms, building community support for LGBTQ youth in foster and adoptive care. We're really excited to be with you on this Sunday afternoon, um, and we have a lot to talk about um, in regards to um, well. A major, major for for us, and a major issue that came up that cuts into the presidential campaign, uh, the campaign of the first LGBT, not the first LGBT candidate, but the the first one who has a real shot, and all sorts of issues that address uh, homophobia, bullying, and it's really a show that a thousand moms was was built to do. And let's get going. Uh, first, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Ray Working, who is uh, who's been hospitalized with a serious illness, and our thoughts are with him. And Ray, if you're listening, we we uh, thank you for your years and years of of uh, getting this show going, and uh, we hope to have you back soon. Um, Joining me, uh, uh, first off, I want to introduce Fred Delia. Fred is the, uh, uh, the co-creator of A Thousand Moms, president, and along with yeah, co-creator along with his uh, longtime colleague, Marsha Novi. Um, and uh, welcome, Fred. Thank you. I am certainly uh, happy to be here, and it's not under happy circumstances, I suppose, but we do want to address these yeah. issues, so uh, I should be here, and I am. Thank you. Okay, and thank you, thank you to our our special guest Harris Duran, and I'm glad I got that right. I'm glad you had that uh, spelled out on your website. Um, Harris <laughs> is a <laughs> Harris is a a writer, uh, director, actor, producer, activist, filmmaker, uh, in and you are in New York City. I, uh, I is, is it Manhattan, Manhattan or Queens? I'm in, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Manhattan. Originally from okay. Queens, born and raised in Queens, but I live in Manhattan now. Okay. Did okay. you experience that blackout? Yeah. Um, so I'm uptown in Washington Heights, so uh, we didn't have the blackout, but I did go downtown to check it out. Okay. Okay. Well, Harris, um, we we got in touch with you. Um, because how do I set this? I've been trying to find the words because I, I I've been a little apoplectic since this article appeared in the New Republic about Mayor Pete, and it it had to be the the slimiest hit job I've ever seen. Um, and I think Harris, you were feeling the same way because you wrote an eloquent um, response to it, which which we're going to talk a lot about, um, but for folks who um, 
don't know the story, and I imagine there, as usual, are a lot who, you know, not only for being busy, but um, for being overwhelmed with information. Um, what happened was um, the New Republic, which, uh, you know, I I don't keep track of all the the, the magazines, but on Friday they published a piece. And I don't want to spend too much time with it because it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever read. Um, seriously, uh, it was written by a guy named um, Dale Peck, and uh, apparently a, a novelist and a critic, and who's written books for gay youth. I just couldn't imagine. Well, the first 1,400 words are like he's dropping acid and, and just – talking about his pickups and people he's met, uh, being gay, uh, you, you know, that the bar scene, or I don't know, it was crazy. And if you could bear to get through the first 1,400 words, um, and believe me, I've, I've met people like that. I've met gay people like that. Um, it's very unsettling. So, there, so he goes for 1,400 words to begin to make a point that he, he's the title of the article is something along the lines why I like Mayor P um, blah 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 but he could, he's the devil and he he basically goes on he goes on to say Buttigieg is like a gay teenager in a Chicago bus station wondering if he should go home with a 50 year old man and finally understand what he is and then a hormonal explosion will happen in the White House if he gets there. Uh, could strike any time. Um, uh, he also called uh, Mayor Buttigieg um, Mary Pete, which is his invention for um, the term Uncle Tom. And he gets into uh, whether whether the uh, the mayor should shave his chest and try different sexual positions. These are rites of passage for a lot of gay men, and it fuels many aspects of gay culture. Um, and the writer says, I don't want to see it in the White House. Um, and then the post, the post has been removed from the site after, and I think it would still be there if people didn't, were, didn't express yeah. such outrage at the New Republic. And, and, um, and it was uh, it was just so inappropriate, so invasive. Um, Harris, you 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 start your article with your emotions. You live it. Can you tell us a little more um, about what you were feeling about that? That re yeah, that? Um, I, I, yeah. I um, I mean, what I don't recommend people read it. I mean, it's really so offensive, and it, and it goes into you know, sexual positions, and it goes into places that you would never write an article about anyone else, and here is this article. And I think it's important to mention that, that the author is also gay, um, yeah. who is taking, um, you know, being gay and turning it into this grotesque um, spin on, 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 Pete Buttigieg and what he's trying to do, um, and it goes. 
against pretty much everything that that what Pete Buttigieg himself is actually trying to be and trying to do in this country. But it was so vulgar in a way that you would never see about any other candidate, that it was so over the top that it was shocking that it was even published. Yeah, my opinion was how – how does a, a, a reputable publication let this even happen? Because all yeah. that he's saying, it has a lot to do with major assumptions on someone he doesn't even know. Yeah, I mean, talking about like, you know, is he a top? Is he a bottom? Like things like that are, it's crazy. You know, you're running for president. Like what, that's not part of the discussion. That's not part of any other candidate's discussion. Um, the vulgarity vulgarity of it was just so um, unbelievable that it was a shock, you know, and for, for me, like it it actually, um, I ended up writing a response. It wasn't actually just to this article. It was to what I have been seeing for um, pretty much the majority of Buttigieg's uh, run. Um, And because I'm actually very involved in politics here in New York city and I'm involved in, you know, like, so not just on Facebook, like in the streets, organizing every week. Um, And so I'm around Uh a lot of people in terms of that. And so I've seen how, like what is happening in progressive circles and where um, and how he's being undercut and undermined, including um, by gay people, you know? And so, um, and I had a couple like specific, personal instances of people who, you know, I have looked up to in um, activist circles who were doing the same thing. And I found it appalling. So by the time this article came out, it was for me, the capper of something where I felt the need to uh, write a response. Um, Right. Because I thought uh, certain certain things needed to be said, and and they've been building up for me for months, and I finally had it. Yeah, I wrote something. Well, if I can just interject, because I, I kind of agree. In full disclosure, I'm for Mayor Pete. I think um, he, uh, a friend and I are old enough. We've talked about this to remember John F. Kennedy, and I have just never seen a guy so articulate. And um, yeah, I, I mean, aside from being gay and support, but he's just, uh, it's take a guy down like that, but it, and it takes a lot of effort, but it seems that uh, people are making that effort. Um, and um, I, I just want to, um, I, I have sort of from a distance on Facebook battling and asking a question constantly, where are our gay leaders on this, and mostly um, they've been silent. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, one, and I won't name him, but probably everybody with, in gay circles would know him, um, uh, has not said anything about this. He's commenting on every issue under the sun since Friday, but not this. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of shocked. I'm appalled. One guy, Cleve Jones, who is not a people to judge supporter. Um, uh, did come out and 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 address this and uh, how how appalling, shocked, shocking he found this that the, uh, the treatment of a gay character of a gay politician. Um, but this um, this is a thing of mine too. Like where 
Where are our leaders? What did we fight for all these years? Why do the kids see this as so important? The kids are, are excited and, and and they're watching their kids get bullied. And it's, it's just, uh, and also, uh, just before I go on, uh, I've experienced, and this is not my term, obviously, but the, the self-bigotry of low expectations. Um, I've gotten that from a lot of people in the gay community who I really think should know better. Um, I get he's too young. He'll make a great cabinet officer. He, he might make it as vice president. And I think um, uh, you you addressed this too in your article, but it, it, it just seems to me, and this is a term I heard from a very wise person years ago, um, uh, permutations and combinations of, of uh, self-hate, and if that seems strong, uh, sorry, yeah. that's what I feel, um, that, that every minority has them, every minority, but we seem to have a, a, a trademark <laughs> on something like that. And I, I just, the, the, the reason I was so attract, appealing, your article was so appealing to me because it, it just captured these feelings that I've had and and several other people now I've seen on, on Twitter have echoed this um, and and I, I focus a lot on the media and I was wondering if we could go there next um, um, sure. uh, because um, I think there's a particular that in this echo chamber of, of political coverage um, I have noticed um, a real sort of effort to undermine people to judge in in ways that here's an example. This is really what set me off too. Uh, maybe two weeks ago, Joy Reid, who I just mm-hmm. yeah to detest, um, and we can talk a little more about her. But she was a guest on uh, one of the MSNBC shows uh, with uh, Nicole Wallace, and she was rattling on a mile a minute. Uh, she just hates – you could just see it. You could feel it. And she said on the show, well, 46% they were discussing why he only has uh, 2% African-American support in, in a national call. And she said, without batting it, uh, an eye – that uh, 46%, almost half of South Bend residents are African-American, and not one has come up uh, and spoken up to support Mayor Pete. And both are just lies. I mean, it's not right. 46%, right. almost half. It's, it, it's, 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 it's 20%, also... 20, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and, yeah, are, and people are, have um, come up. Yeah. Yeah, there are there are many many um, black voices in South Bend who support um, Mayor Pete, and they are not being amplifi- amplified by the media. Um, and they those voices are complaining about it. Actually, um, uh, the the South Bend their main paper today actually wrote an article about you know the the issues the city is having are not his fault. He inherited these problems. But, you know, it's really exciting for people to, you know, it's a good narrative to take down, you know, the the guy that like rose really quickly and no one ever heard of him. He rose up 
wow, this guy is amazing, right? And so then the rest of that right. narrative, let's now tear him apart, right? So that's what they're doing. And so anything that doesn't align with that narrative, they're not interested in it, right? So they're not interested in, okay, let's talk about what South Bend was before uh, Pete Buttigieg got there. What did he inherit? What was the city like? Well, the city was a dying city, right? And right. he has brought back a lot of jobs. You know, the, um, uh, they don't want to talk about the, any sort of nuance in terms of, you know, the, um, the thousand homes in a thousand days and what, what that was. Right. And that um, there were a lot of people who were asking for it, but they don't want to tell that side of the story. They just want to make it, you know, they want to try to make it a story of like, he went in and he tore down black people's homes, which isn't what happened. Right. right? That these are right. homes that are falling, falling apart or need to be renovated. They are, no one lives in them. And so the idea was to either tear down the ones that, that were dangers or to um, fix up those other ones. And the, the community was part of that. And there are a lot of people that are documented that don't get national attention that, you know, I think that, that people say like, yes, when he started, there was like a enthusiasm that wasn't, that, you know, hadn't fully been, in, he hadn't fully engaged the community and they went to him and they spoke to him and then he listened and changed, you know? And so there are multiple right. people who talk about that and how, they went to him, he listened and he changed as part of that, um, that thousand homes in a thousand days, but no one wants to tell that story. You know, the, um, it's just, there's this one narrative that will get clicks, right? Pete Buttigieg has a black problem, right? And that is racy, right? That is like, click on this. Clickbait. Right. But you know what is not, you know, it's not sexy. Pete Buttigieg has been trying and has made like uh, progress here, here in the city and, you know, uh, has not made this progress, but there's been some here. Like that's not sexy, right? It's not like, oh, right. that's a really interesting article of like yeah, how Because a lot of it is process and it takes time and right, exactly. It doesn't bounce yeah. out like that. Um, no, and and so then there's the, so the list. Yeah. Someone published the list of the, of the things he has done. Uh, in the African American yeah, community, hasn't any the, national coverage at all. right? The yeah. efforts that he did put forth to um, diversify the police department and recruit others, and and I know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know, I'm a social worker, I know exactly. I wanted things to yeah. change in terms of the whole LGBTQ issue of recruiting and uh, training and supporting foster adoptive parents from the LGBT community and dealing with LGBTQ youth in the child welfare system 30 years ago. But <laughs> right. much as I might right. rail and do whatever, it takes time right. unfortunately to get from here to right. there right right but the, um, you know the arc of the, the decline of uh, sorry the, the arc of the decline of yeah. of police officers which actually went from it was they lost like 10 you're talking about the entire police force of south bend is like 200 they had like right. 20 something and it went down to like like teens and so they they lost 10 right so where it's made out to be like thousands you know it's just 10 Right, but that yeah. decline is a national decline. It's not specific to right. South Bend. That's right. What's going You'll on see is that, that people in, in of, other professions of, you see it all over, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. But, and well, if, if you just because, go right, ninety you, miles, I'm sorry. If you just go ninety right. miles to the west to Chicago, I mean that is the capital of police uh, uh, community uh, distress. I mean it's the summer of killing there, and it always has been. And and right. they don't have uh, they they have a new mayor and I wish her 
the best. I think she's perfect. She's uh, African American, a lesbian, and she is top notch. And uh, I think, right. but but it, she doesn't have an answer. Her first week in office, the same number of killings, roughly, um, as last year. And uh, I want to just, if I could, just take two minutes because I have the recording of um, um, uh, a woman you mentioned, uh, I believe, Harris, in your article, uh, Aisha Shabazz. Uh, she's a uh, community activist in South. She talks about uh-huh. Mayor Pete. Yeah. And I, I, it runs about two minutes. I'd like to play it and then uh, come back and talk about it on the other side. So this is. Uh, let me just play this now. Well, stop playing. Uh, yeah, nothing coming up yet. Uh, no. Sorry about that. Uh, Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, but I just want, we, I just wanted to say, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that what's really important to to note about the national decline in African African Americans in police is, you know, what you have over the course of Mayor Pete's um, being a mayor is everyone got a smartphone and people started filming the police that we have seen on a national scale, you know, police brutality. So if you were black, why would you be joining the police force? Someone that, like, you are seeing on video every single day is antagonistic to your community. And that's, that's a huge part of the decline of what's going on, you know. And, the, yeah. you know, to me, I think it's really important that the conversation that's happening around uh, Buttigieg and, and African-Americans and police is a really important conversation. And it needs to be taken nationally because – you know, and, and he's using it as, as a, a means to actually to address this on a national scale, but this is what our country needs to be dealing with. It's not just South Bend. It's not just him. It is a huge issue for our entire country, and it's why we're finally talking about reparations is because, you know, when you start a, a country by slaughtering Native Americans and then, like, bringing over uh, Africans as slaves, you start a country with sin, and we've never dealt with it. You know, and so now it's, you know, people are starting to talk about it. But, you know, the problems of our country in terms of race are are massive and are, are hundreds of years, you know. Oh, and yeah. so it's, oh. it's a conversation that has to happen. But, you know, to try and put it in like him and that one city is, is really just avoiding having the conversation that we need to be having. Right. And, and you know, he did um, – I think he has a, a grasp on uh, that. I, I mean, he came out with this, uh, his, he calls it the Douglas plan, and I, Douglas, yeah. and it has opened my eyes to, you know, you can't just hand a check out and solve a problem this immense. And I, I kind of work a little bit in financial uh, areas mm-hmm. to, to sort of supplement my um, And I can see it. I see it every day. I see it. Um, uh, there's no wealth. There's no wealth in African American communities, minority communities. Right. Um, they, it's, it's like a systematic, systematic generational. Uh, they don't. Exactly. They're unbanked. And 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 yeah. uh, Mayor Pete is sort of 
opened my eyes to this. I, I, I mean, I, I never heard the yeah. term unbanked, but I, in, I know mm-hmm. intuitively what it means. You, 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 you know, uh, and, and it means people are not financially ready and uh, to right. learn. They, they have to right. learn, and, and that's been denied, and uh, they don't have the wealth to invest. So his plan, you know, it's, it's not as simple as giving a check. And and I think that's going to be um, uh, held against him. Um, I, I mean, he he's that's I don't think he's precluded direct cash, but he has so much more, so much more about investment, about healthcare, investment in minority businesses, investment mm-hmm. in women, African American women who who yes. have an incredibly high uh, birth mortality rate. Um, when, uh, and because of uh, not, not not having access to health care and then being listened to when when they're in need, and um, particularly during a harsh pregnancy. It was a woman on, I saw the other day who said, uh, you know, she lost her child. She nearly lost her life because she couldn't ex- she couldn't express or she her expression of pain was not heard at the uh, by the doctors, and so. Mm-hmm. Until the last minute, she had to live with it. Um, so I want to also read a, a, another uh, section or uh, message from your book. Um, and this is about the the gay community and and how people um, in the in the straight community. <laughs> let's go to the straight parade and, and straight pride parade. Silly. <laughs> 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 Uh, So, um, uh, Harris, you wrote this, but when the pride parade dies down, um, uh, you know, when everybody thinks we're all together once a year, it gets on the TV, although people don't like the the guys in the scanty uh, uh, underwear uh, dancing or the, yeah, yeah, or the dykes and dykes on bikes. who traditionally lead all these parades, but that's all the TVs, all the TV stations show. They want the shock value, and and it's amazing to me how people who should know better every year bring that up. They have to show that. Well, ask your TV station, ask your biased TV station. So anyway, Harris, you write you write this. But when the pride parade dies down, gays go back to life in a society where structural homophobia exists. When you're the other or the token and you're either appreciated like a clown or a cute puppy or you were tolerated. And, boy, that really resonated with me because I, I've had a, a tough struggle with the closet. I didn't come out till 24, and I can understand Pete at 33 waiting. And Rachel, I thought gave him a little – Rachel Maddow gave him a little bit of a – too hard of a time over that. Um you're just ready when you're ready, and I—it's uh, a tough struggle because uh, you know it affects your work. Uh, I know so many gay gay men, uh, since that's my circles, who who just sort of kind of drop out from society. It, it just is that hard to try to mm-hmm. fit in, unless, as you as you write. You're in New York or, uh, you, you know, a gay safe neighborhood. Uh, as you write, it's possible to build a, 
a world in New York City where you live in a gay-safe neighborhood, where you surround yourself with mostly gays, uh, and then there's the rest of the world. A gay person who builds a gay-safe space for themselves and loses sight of everybody else's experiences, everybody else's experience, thus thinking we no longer need to really fight for ourselves, irresponsibly ignores the extremely high rate of teen suicide and gay youth. And Fred, that is a, a sort of the clarion call for a thousand moms. Um, you got the call from the social workers um, who who were who were um, dealing with the gay youth who had come out, and uh, you know suddenly, I mean, Fred, could you just quickly tell the story of the unadoption of a gay youth that really was the mm. Kick off to a thousand right. moms. Right, right. And we've heard this story more than once, but um, the typical story went like this a, a child was with a particular family in foster care at first, usually from a young age, uh, could be an infant, but let's say two, three, four, five, six years old. And then the child reaches adolescence, 12, 13, 14, and starts to express him or herself as other than typically straight. And the foster parents who by then would have adopted this child, because that's how the system mm -hmm. goes, if the child can't go back to their family, they are to be adopted. And so then this happens. And then the agency gets the call saying, well, this isn't what we bargained for, so we don't want this. Yeah. And it has happened that people have gone back to the family court, and family court judges have actually dissolved adoptions based on this order. Wow. Yeah, and people. I mean, it don't was the first time it. I heard it. I couldn't. I couldn't. Right, I couldn't believe that a family court judge. I understand how it could happen, but I still can't believe it. It could happen because the family court judge probably thought this could be an explosive situation, and this child could get hurt or worse, or who knows? Right, what could unsafe. Happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get that, but <laughs> the family should yeah. have been ordered to counseling immediately, right, <laughs> with whatever other supports, because. If this were not an adoptive family, but a typical family where a child is there by birth, you don't just, you know, give up your child. Although that has happened too. Same thing. Right. Um, so, yes, I understand. So in, in that instance, um, this is what could happen and has happened, and I'm hoping that it's less. But, you know, that's just in New York State. New York State. Not Arkansas, yeah. <laughs> not Kansas, not, <laughs> not Mississippi. Right. I mean, who knows what's going on. Right. Um, so and, yeah, that's and I need, here. And Fred, I, I just want to say, uh, Mayor Pete is about the only candidate I have ever heard who has a grasp and an understanding of the foster care adoption system. And um, I mean, I think the guy is incredibly well uh, uh, researched, and 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 he understands it. He 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 just knows the words. He knows. The situation, and um, it's and uh, so. As mayor, he must have dealt with it enough that right. He's had to learn it, or, or decided to learn it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and well, I'm, well, I'm know, appalled at. Well, go ahead. go ahead. But I'm appalled at the disservice that uh, that person who wrote that article for the Republic um, put out there, thinking. Well, I don't know. I don't know to whose service that could have been. What he was trying to do, because it certainly isn't to LGBTQ youth or youth who may be, which is our big piece, you know, uh, kids trying to deal with or don't know enough yet or 
you know, trying to figure out what's going on because they're in foster care. They don't even know who they are to begin with, let alone how they feel about who they're attracted to or who they are. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I can't do... Go ahead. Go ahead, Harris. Uh, so the the author has a, a history of, of writing provocative things like that. Like he um, – he, there's a, a quote floating around, like an awful Holocaust quote um, that I'm not going to repeat. But um, he does this, you know, and so I think – I don't think that he or people like that are thinking about, well, how does this affect um, LGBT youth? You know, it's the same thing as, as, you know, the pundits that we talk about on Fox News, right? That, you know, yeah. not a, uh, where it's just a personality. You know, you, you hear about um, these, you know, far right, um, you know, wing nuts. When you meet them in real life, they're actually not as crazy as that. They're, they're putting on characters, right? right? And people take no responsibility. Yeah. It's just a job, right? I'm just hearing this. You can see people who are working for Trump, also people who, you know, you otherwise actually don't believe the words that are coming out of their mouths where they're like, this is a job, you know, playing a character is a job without any thought for the ramifications of how that affects the real world. And in this case, we're talking about, you know, how it affects LGBT youth who are a high risk group and people don't take the time to think about how this actually affects them. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you said, he writes all kinds of stuff, and I guess he's looking for attention and people to read right. his material and whatever. Yeah, that's lovely. But exactly. But if you put out there that you think you're doing something for somebody, uh, you have no clue. Right. Right. And what do you guys say? Uh, say a commentator is going to come in if they either if they bother to pay attention to the story. And said, oh, "Look at it. They're so messed up. There's a gay, there's a gay guy taking down another gay guy. Ha ha ha. The, 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 they got to fix themselves. It's, it's, it's. Well, I think that's I why mean, it was published. What, I think because the editor, I think the editor, who I, I believe is straight, I think that there was a because the writer is gay, that he has the ability to say this, and." The right. truth is that he doesn't because he doesn't speak for all gay people for the entire LGBT community. It's irresponsible, and he doesn't. And and we need editors to be responsible about what it is they're putting out. And that ties back into the whole media discussion. You know, they're right, desperate for right. clicks rather than right. for if this, if this truth were, or information. If this were this author's, if this were this author's um, personal opinion that he puts on his own personal blog and puts out there for entertainment purposes or whatever, that's one thing. Still not responsible to my mind to use, but right. But to have yeah, but to have a supposedly reputable publication put this out right. there, that's a whole other thing. Right. It validates right. it. It's saying it's not just right. a crazy internet voice. Yeah. It's an actual right. voice. It validates it. Um, yeah. You know, and so. Um, you know, luckily it got taken down pretty quickly, but, you know, there are pieces all over the place and, you know, um, and I think we need to be responsible about, you know, the children that we're raising and what they're seeing and how they're perceiving it. And, you know, having um, Pete and Chastin on a national stage, you know, changes like an entire worldview for this generation who's growing up. I mean, they're, um, uh, Pete was talking about specific examples that he has heard of, you know, kids who were going to harm themselves that, you know, seeing this example um, changed that. And that matters. And it's 
irresponsible to stand in the way of that. And, and like I say in my article, you know, I think it's a responsibility of everyone, whether you agree with Pete, whether you will ever consider voting for him, it is irresponsible to not take into consideration how, what this is doing to LGBT youth and the value of having him on a national stage um, and how that changes the world for these kids. Right. And yeah. then if you bully and, them uh, on a national stage, like as is happening, how that affects them as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you took the question out of my mouth. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I yeah. mean, Fred, we talk a lot. We talk a lot about, about bullying, and and uh, I mean, it, it's sort of a way of life. You, you sadly, you get immune to it, but it really does drag down your self-esteem and leads to uh, a whole host of issues and. And uh, <laughs> just on a light note, I, I once had a friend, um, and uh, he was very quiet. Very, I worked with him, and he was a really nice guy, really, really, really nice guy, very quiet. He said the, one of the most profound things I've ever heard, he said, you know, being gay is, is like uh, getting through a time warp. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, for gay people and straight people, you either, uh, you either get through the other side or you're stuck in – uh, Star Trek space or what, whatever. But I, <laughs> the time, the time image always stayed with me. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's certainly no, not where our commentators are. Um, um, but listen, we have a, just a few minutes left. I need to take a minute uh, just to uh, 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 ring the coffers a little bit. Um, a thousand months uh, survives on donations, and uh, we do training. Um, and we do books, and uh, one the, our lead book is, uh, is called Healing the Brain, uh, Stress, Trauma, and LGBTQ Youth. It's written by me, Dave Bailog, and with a heavy contribution from Fred and, and other folks who pitched in, and uh, it's gotten tremendously good reviews. I'm very proud of it. It's available on Amazon. If folks can find it uh, to our website, find their way to our website, www.a1000moms.org. That's all spelled out. A1000moms.org. There's tons of information, including uh, a donation bar, which you can click. And if you're able to send $25, we will send you a copy of Healing the Brain. Um, We think you'll uh, enjoy it and uh, find it uh, very helpful, particularly good resource for parents, LGBTQ youth teachers who wonder what's going through the LGBTQ youth in there in front of them in the classroom and uh, just anybody, anybody who has a care and a concern about a loved one and uh, who may be LGBT or who is, who has found the way to come out. So with that, once again, please visit www.a1000moms.org and your support is greatly appreciated. So, Having uh, taken care of that, um, I want to um, find a way. We have about, let me see, seven minutes left. And I want to um, just uh, explore a little bit. Uh, we were talking about bullying. Um, uh, Harris, what do you think is going through Pete Buttigieg's mind? I know he's got the highest um, presence. I mean, just. He's so composed, although I have seen him, I've seen flashes of temper when, when people have 
especially at the debate when the guy who's now out, um, Swalwell, oh, uh, Swalwell, yeah, yeah, made, yeah, made a comment and 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 uh, Pete, he didn't have time to answer, so he just flashed him a, a really angry look. And I think it was Axford who, uh, uh, David uh, Axelrod, who said, who asked him, well, did you not have an answer? And he said, Pete said, uh, yeah, I had an answer. But sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And uh, yeah. I, I mean, he would have to explain. I, yeah. He doesn't have the, the firing power. Go ahead, Harris. Yeah, I mean, I think that his um, – I think he's remarkable in the way that he handles um, attacks where he um, – you know, either if you're going to ask, if he's being asked an aggressive question, he'll answer it head on. Um, but then, if uh, you know his response to this article, he was asked, um, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was he basically turned it back around on the magazine and said that like he uh, he knows the magazine to uh, produce better work on that or something like that. He, he turned it into a compliment the magazine to let them off the hook is brilliant and you're like how do you do that it's this like magic that he turns things around he doesn't blame people I mean right. I, I just think it's you know when we're talking about our kids you know I think that it's he's a really great example of how to be as a human being how to deal with other people you know and and for me, you know, I, I know that you said that you've already decided on him. I really like him. I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see how this year plays out. He's one of the people that I am uh, considering. I also like a couple other people. Um, and I just want to see how the year plays out. But what I think is really remarkable about him, and I wish that other people would pick up, is that he's one of the only people that's really talking about uniting our country. Our country is in a state of, like, you know, panicked hate, I mean, where people are, you know, pushed to either side. And he's one of the only people that's really trying to talk about how to bridge that divide. And he did that with, you know, the policy proposals about like AmeriCorps, right? Expanding, you know, Peace Corps to try and have this year of service to try and unite people, you know, and I think that, you know, that is his MO. And I think that, you know, our country needs that. And I think if we don't have that, if we, if we elect someone and this just flips, this becomes like, and now we have someone, and I know that the right hated Obama, but if it's something to this extent where they hate whoever is the president and that person is not trying to unite but actually takes it and runs with it and says, F you, you know, we're just going to do our thing, I think that that is also not good. Just as, as it's obviously better than having Trump for four more years, but you know, for me, it's very important that we have someone who has like a moral standing to stand up on on the national and the world stage and heal, heal the country, heal the world. And that's really important to me. And that's something that he's doing in a way that I don't think any other candidate is doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I think I, <laughs> I used to work for William Sapphire, who was uh, William uh, Richard Nixon speechwriter and the language columnist mm-hmm. for the Times, and and I yeah. did not agree with almost anything. Oh, I did agree with. Uh, he thought Lotto was a regressive taxation, and I thought, oh, well, I agree with that. It's about the only thing. However, 
when Nixon uh, uh, was inaugurated, Sapphire wrote the speech, and he said, how can we, uh, I'm paraphrasing, how can we get anything done when there's too much noise? How can you talk to the other person when you're screaming? How can you hear the other person mm -hmm. when you're screaming? And and I couldn't believe that that was William Sapphire in, speaking in 1969. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Nixon delivered his his sort of madness. But uh, we, we do have to close up here. But uh, I do want to thank our guest, Harris Duran. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, this show. And thank you for your outspokenness. And uh, we hope yes. we can uh, stay in touch. And uh, Fred, yes, thank you. Thank, thank you. For having me on. Yeah. So, and um, and again to our colleague Dr. Ray, uh, you're in our thoughts, and we will uh, be talking to you shortly. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, okay. and have a great day. Very good. Thank you, and thanks okay. to all of our listeners. Yes. Thank you. Bye bye.